Hey guys, this is Person About Town. I'm so nervous. Don't be. <laughs> I just, I, I like your, com- like, okay, so the first time I went to like a comedy show in a theater, it was for your Netflix recording. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was like, ah, oh, like this is before I started comedy or anything. Uh, so I, I'm just very excited to be sitting across from you. Well, that is also, it's very nice to hear. It's very nice of you to say, and I'm also excited. <laughs> Good. <laughs> okay, guys, so this is Person About Town, now presented by Women in Comedy Festival. And we have a special, all the guests are special, but this one is particularly special to me. Uh, and we, he'll tell you where we are and who he is. Okay. Uh, I am Mike Kaplan, and we're in the Harvard Bookstore, which is, that's the name of the bookstore. A lot of people, uh, when I say the Harvard Bookstore, if you, I mean, if you, a lot of people, if I said that, they'd be like, who cares? What are you talking about? Get out of here. Uh, but yeah, yeah, get get out of here. Why are you talking to me about bookstores? I don't like them. Books are dead. Uh, stores are dead. Everything's dead. The world's on fire. Uh, I was like, you're right. I agree with you about all that stuff. I do still like books. Uh, but uh, so we're in Harvard Square, right near the comedy studio where I started doing comedy. Uh, like years and years ago, and uh, so I've, this store has been here for longer than I've known, and uh, it's where I they have like a used book section downstairs, and I like always, even to this day, I come back here. Uh, I live in New York now, and I'll come back to sell my books, like, whenever. Like, I moved a year ago, and, uh, you know, I had to get rid of tons of books, and so I, like, car- I drove. I mean, I, like, I don't, like, make special trips to Boston right. to sell books, but, like, whenever I have shows up here, or if I come up to see friends, or whatever the thing is, uh, I will bring, like, bags or boxes of books and sell them. There was So when I sold, when I moved, I, like, sold probably thousands of dollars worth of books. There was a time I had like $800 in store credit here. Uh, and so then I was just, it's just like, you know, kind of kid in a candy store, except the candy is healthy and uh, doesn't, and you don't eat it and it, and they're books. Uh, it's like a, an adult in a bookstore, I guess. Uh, but the thing is, there's a, there's another like bigger, there's a big, you know, sort of the Harvard like coop yes. bookstore is down the street. And so if somebody's like the bookstore at Harvard, the Harvard bookstore, they'd be like, oh, you mean the coop? I'm like, no, no, I mean literally the capital H, uh, capital B. I don't know if the S is capital, Levy. Yeah, H, the HBS. Yes. Uh, but yes. There's, no, there's no other HBS. No, uh, that, that's the only thing. Uh, but yes, yeah, so that, that's where that's where we are, and who I am, and that's all there is. <laughs> this is not the end of the podcast. Uh, so, in addition to like coming to sell your books here, have you had any moments where you were like emotional or like just particularly memorable moments here in this bookstore? Uh, probably. I think, uh, let me think about, I mean, I've just been here so many times and it's just like such a a place that's like home in a way, you know, like I know you were saying that you don't come in here that often, like you just to escape the rain sometimes. And I, I feel like sometimes when I come in, I'm like escaping the rain of, you know, being, uh, the metaphorical rain of, uh, (laughs) unfamiliar outside world. Like, I mean, just this whole Harvard Square area is meaningful to me. I think probably, the first time I was, I know the first time I was in Harvard Square was when I was about 15. Uh, I was, uh, it was over a summer that I was, I was, I went to the summer camp for years and years. And the summer camp was the thing that was like sort of very formative for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like where I had my, made my first like really, really good friends that weren't like just friends that were automatically your friends because you were five and they were yeah. five and they're like your friends now. Uh, but like these were, you know, kids who like uh, I learned, especially because compared to like my high school, like my school life uh, where I was just more scared of kids and I didn't, I just 
started a new school and didn't really know anybody and uh, high school these kids most of the kids weren't like super inviting and welcoming yeah. like they weren't like there was like maybe a couple mean people but mostly it was just like uh, you know I, uh, what do I do uh, I'll just be alone uh, but this camp was uh, a place that was very you know just w warm and like these kids that were just like hey you you're nice. We're nice. Let's what, all. What was the camp? Uh, it's called Bucks Rock. Uh, it's Bucks Rock Creative and Performing Arts Camp. It's in uh, New Milford, Connecticut, and it's been there since the '40s. They started as like a work camp to help like with war efforts, and they had like a vegetable farm and animals, and then they had like the, eventually it became this arts camp where the owner had worked uh, had studied with Maria Montessori. So it's very Montessori based. Like you don't uh, do you choose everything that you want to do at different. Like you don't have to do things on certain schedules. There's no there's just like between nine and twelve and two and six, like get out there, you know, go, you know, if you can paint all day, you can, you know, if you have, if you want to be in like a play, then you have to go to the rehearsals. Uh, but uh, so yeah, so that's a place that I started going to when I was eleven, and then so when I was like fifteen or sixteen, uh, I was a counselor in training, and which is like a, a camper that still pays to go there, but also they make you work. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's the best of both worlds. Uh, you pay and work. Uh, but so the, the CITs would take a trip every summer when I was there to, and I, I don't know if they always go to Boston, but they, in the, in those days we did and I'd never been to Boston. And so that I remember coming to the, this was my, like, we came to this area, we came to like Newberry street and we were only here for like a day or two, but, uh, well, that's enough to see Boston. Uh, <laughs> And, but so that, I mean, Harvard Square was like, that was a, a place like I was, I forget there, I must've been like, I had like, you know, a girlfriend or something uh, at the, at the camp and she wasn't here, but I remember like buying her things here and like, just really like just loving. I loved, I remember going to the garage, you know, and like going to like whatever, you know, bead tattoo piercing, be like, Ooh, things, you know, uh, hats and uh, tie dye and uh, stuff for people. Uh, and so I just remember being, you know, th this was like, yeah, a play one of the first places that I ever like, I think visited like on my own, yeah. you know, I mean, not even, you know, I was, there were chaperones and things, but uh, that was like sort of this, that camp was sort of where I was becoming like who I, you know, obviously there's no stopping becoming like you're never like, well, I'm done, done. I'm, I'm a skeleton now. <laughs> like you're always, death is the end. yeah, growing and changing. Uh, and who knows if death is the end, but, uh, you know, it's certainly an end. Yes. Uh, it's one, it's an end to something, uh, to body working. Uh, and I, but yeah, at the time, this was like the beginning of, you know, adulthood, the beginning of, you know, personhood, being, a, you know, a person with, like, wants and desires and choices and not just, you know, going along with, you know, what, what, every, what parents are like, this is what you do, and, you know, so... There's, you know, something to, like, independence uh, being here. I don't know if there's anything else about independence in Boston. Anyway, the point is, uh, yeah, I came to Boston and won my independence, and I ate, drank some tea, and uh, then I dumped it into the ocean, uh, you know, for my homies, uh, my revolutionary... <laughs> Did you have dead homies oh, at 15? Not at all. No, no. The uh, the ones from uh, American history. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen Hamilton, but it's uh, that that's where I learned about American history nice. years and years <laughs> later. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's I don't have specific memories of this store mm -hmm. from that trip, but I do remember just this whole area was like you know a warm magical thing. That when I I came to college at Brandeis, uh, I would just love you know every every weekend they'd have shuttles that would come into Harvard Square. Also same kind of place like Harvard Square, Newbury Street, and like uh, so I would just come here and. I feel like, and now, now that I don't live here, you know, whenever I come back to Boston, like there's always, you know, usually I'll do a set at the comedy studio. I'll come in here. Uh, you know, there's these like, you know, sort of just traditions that 
even if I don't, you know, buy books, like sometimes it's nice to, I've, I forget, I've, I've seen like people like speak here yeah. uh, and they'll have, you know, like book readings and things. And sometimes like when my, I've now have like a lot of friends that have books that have written books that like, I see their books here. So it's like nice to like buy my own, my own friends yeah. books here. And it's just, you know, it's like a, a part of, you know, history in general, a part of like my history and, uh, and the future. It has, <laughs> Uh, does, does that answer your question? That does answer my question. That's a great answer. I'm glad. Thank you. This is just something that was like stuck in my head from before. Does, can everyone expect to get like books as Christmas presents from you since you have all the store credit here? Uh, well, I don't anymore. Okay. And I mean, honestly, uh, I for presents for people. I mean, your your question is kind of a joke. I understand, but also I'll answer it. Uh, the thing that I always like to do. I mean, I'm. I like to, you know, get people, if I care about people, I like to get them gifts that are meaningful, like whatever I see them, not just because, you know, like if I see something I'm like, ooh, well, too bad it's not their birthday or a holiday coming up. Otherwise, I would get this perfect <laughs> gift for them. So, you know, I know some people are really great at it, like just, you know, throughout the year, like hoarding things. Yeah. But for, like for myself and for others, like I've always been like, if I want something, I'll get it. And I'll be like, oh, I got you this thing. And like, I remember like when I was dating this girl for the past couple of years until a few months ago, uh, like whenever I would see something, like sometimes like if I would go on a trip, I would get her like I would get her a few things because then I'd, I couldn't help but be like, hey, I got you something. And then she'd be like, what is it? And I'm like, oh, but I want it to be a surprise. She's like, no, I don't like surprises. <laughs> tell, tell me. So I'd like I would have to get I'd get her like multiple things, only tell her about one of them. Yeah. And then like one could be a surprise. But in general, uh, I don't know, like I've never been I've never felt like I'm quote unquote good at shopping for people for gifts for things like I like you know sending people like a heartfelt note you know a message like telling them that I care about them like I care about you in the form of this box full of thing you know is like not as natural to me like I remember I was like 13 or 14 when my parents got divorced and that was when like you know also uh, officially according to Jewish law you're a man and uh, and so you know the, the beginning of adulthood also starting then in that way, like, this is when my dad started, you know, taking me uh, out for Christmas shopping for, like, he, he, he remarried, and they had, like, a bunch of people that he's like, I'll help you buy things for people, yeah. you know? And I'm like, these guys like board games, and this, and so, but then I would just, every year, I'd be like, well, I guess I get soap for this person, and a candle for this person, yeah. and some sort of game for this person, and, uh, you know, a golf thing for my dad, yeah. and just, like, not to say, you know, just, there's some sense of, like, going through the motions mm. of, of the, I mean, which is a nice motion. It's nice to get somebody something. Like, right. like I, you know, the, the thought that counts, like, I put something into something, yeah. you know. You get, a, you know, I mean, whether or not, but also we've all gotten presents that were like, well, it's nice to get a present, yeah. but also who cares about this <laughs> present? Right. So I'm sure that many of my presents, people were like, who cares about this? Right. Like, it's nice that this little boy and then eventually, grown person gets me this thing so at one point I I mean I think that I always do at the end of the year is uh, donate money to uh, some charity like I look at how much money I made and then uh, I read this book called uh, The Life You Can Save by Peter Singer and it's about basically it starts with 
the idea that uh, is it okay to talk about a book in a bookstore? Okay, great. Uh, I uh, the, the the book starts with sort of this thought experiment of like if you walked by a pond and you saw a child drowning in the pond and there's nobody else around, like you would probably jump in and save them if you could. Uh, and even if you were wearing like an expensive dress or suit or clothes clothes that would get ruined, you're like, well, it's worth saving a life uh, to you know these three hundred dollars worth of clothes or whatever it is, uh, or even you know whatever your shoes, your things, your wallet at your phone like maybe you try to throw but you're like I'm gonna I'm gonna save this kid and not worry about that particular cost those things are replaceable uh, but then there's also children dying all over the world that you know a hundred dollars could save yeah. you know there's uh, all kinds of charities like working to make it so that and I, so the book eventually leads to the idea that obviously like if something's not right in front of you uh, then you people are less likely to take action and you know there's psychological reasons for that but so the, the question is the book asks is like how do we you know how can we get people to do as much good as possible like without feeling like they're you know giving up too much of their own stuff and so like by the very end of the book there's like sort of like a, a kind of a tax bracket like list of like how much you know if you make this much money like if you if you make under this amount you know like under some you know Know, the, obviously the poverty line or even yeah. higher like they're like but say like if you make like a hundred thousand dollars a year then like you could comfortably live with you know ninety five thousand a year yeah. probably or somewhere between that so giving between like one and five percent there and I think it was like if you make ten million dollars you should you could live you could live with seven million dollars yeah. you know and so like I'll look at that and be like well here's here's what I made here's you know here's my expenses here's what I've got and so here's what I can afford and I will donate to there's this website called uh givewell.org which sort of vets charities and every year they you know they see like how much money get, goes to the charity versus uh, how much actually you know goes to the cause right. that they're going for and uh, and so they have like a list of a few different ones that they're like uh, these are these are our top recommendations for the year and it's often it's been like uh, fighting malaria like against malaria.com yeah. is like a big one that like a little amount of money can help you know get a net that will like save people's lives right. and so I would donate money to that and like so I I remember there sometimes this is all a roundabout way to say sometimes I would just like send people uh, like cards and say like on you know on your behalf and my behalf I've donated this nice. money uh, like if I'm not going to see you know if I'm going to obviously like a Christmas party or if I'm then I'll I'll bring people specific mm. things because I know that's the thing yes, the to do like, I don't show up and be like uh, <laughs> I got you no malaria you know uh, and I got I got you somebody else who doesn't have malaria and I you don't have to do anything just uh, it's all fine and I know on some level it might you know people. Uh, might see that as like there, remember there's like a Seinfeld episode where George like made up a charity yeah. and he was like yeah I just donated to this charity on your behalf and uh, uh, so that the 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 answer is uh, yes sometimes I do give people books. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of presents do you like to receive? Uh, I mean the sort of uh, adding on to a thing that I might have just started saying that like I when I when I usually want things like I'll get them for myself right. uh like not not all the time obviously like there's I guess the the nicest things to get are things that like you didn't even know that you would want or that you didn't know existed like uh my mom will often when she's in like a Barnes and Noble uh she'll either pick me up just like a book by a comedian yeah. or like she'll call me and be like do you know this comedian or like so I have like four Chelsea Handler books mm -hmm. and uh and but like my mom got me like the Amy Schumer book and so like those are things that like I don't I don't always buy new books so because like I'm this is uh, I mean I actually I sometimes do here like you know if I have if I have the credit and uh, and a new book comes out that I want I'll get it but 
Uh, also, the fact that I have at home like just still like shelves full of books that I haven't read. Right. Like I'm not as motivated to get new ones all the time. Uh, so I guess I will like books are a present that I accept if somebody, you know, especially because there's so many people who like know, know me and know my tastes and know things that I might like. Uh, and so if people are, but if I don't know, I don't know all the people, you know, right. there's, you're constantly discovering like, you know, new authors, new, uh, new ideas, new topics, new things that, uh, so that those are, those are nice things. Uh, I guess, uh, I mean, you know, music I like, uh, I've, if, I guess I don't even know what, uh, what kind of, what kind of presents do people, like, I, I mostly don't, care, like, I'm, I'm very grateful for, like, my, my life and the way that it is, and, like, I, I, I both like the idea of, obviously, you know, I like getting new books and new art and, you know, engaging with new things, but also I like, you know, when I'm selling my books, I'm like, I like getting rid of things. Yeah. Like I like, you know, both like, it's like, I like to, when I travel, I'm like, you know, people are like, isn't it difficult? I'm like, oh, I, I do you like it? Do you like, do you not like it? I'm like, well, I actually do. I love going to a new place. And I also love coming home. Yeah. Like I, it's nice to, it's fun. It's interesting that like the opposites, there's this, this quote I like, uh, by, I think Niels Bohr, where he says like the, the opposite of a small truth is a lie, but the opposite of a great truth can often be another great truth. Mm -hmm. And so like the idea that there's these two things that can be opposite that are both true. And so it's like, it's like, I love leaving and I love returning. Yeah. Like it seems like, like I love, you know, going to sleep and I love waking up. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I do. I so. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like getting out of bed in the morning, but I also love getting into bed at night. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, some people hate both and those are the opposites. Like, I don't want to, like, I remember there's certainly times where like, I don't want to go to sleep and also I don't want to wake up. Um, so there's like four opposites there. Uh, and they're all, you know, they all have varying degrees of truth depending who you are. Uh, but yeah, so I guess I, I, the point is I both, I like receiving things, but I also like, you know, divesting myself of things. I like getting rid of things. I like not, you know, not necessarily participating extra in, you know, capitalism just for capitalism's yeah. sake. Like, uh, but you know, not that they're not, not, I'm like, not that there's anything wrong with it. And also there's a lot wrong with it. And, uh, like, you know, I mean, I certainly, I like when, I, I do I do comedy which people pay for and uh, so I guess I guess the present I'd like is for people to buy my comedy. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's yeah albums and uh, and whatever whatever ways you can. Uh, my the present is just for people to send me money. Yes. Uh, just straight Venmo. Just... Yeah, whatever you like. I just got a square a square cash. Oh, so nice. uh, I when I was a kid I actually remember. Um, for my, I remember like maybe a fifth birthday or something or a holiday season where I got specific presents. Like I remember like a Dungeons and Dragons like set, you know, like a, it was like a castle that was shaped like a dragon's head and it was pretty cool. And, but then I remember also like, I mean, I didn't specifically ask for that. Uh, and so I was like, I think I, th eventually my parents just got me like money for my presents and then they would bring me to the toy store and like I would pick things out. So I think that is, I mean, obviously like money is like a less personal thing, right. uh, but I feel like maybe like going, maybe the more personal way to do that is like if you want to get somebody something but you don't know what they want or don't know what they would like, like go with them and be like, I'll, you know, where do you want to go? And like yeah. I'll get you a thing, like have this experience nice. with a person because, I mean, the things that are more, the most valuable things I think are like connections to people. And so that way you get a, if you get a thing, but you also get like a memory and an experience and being with the person. But, uh, but yeah, the actual uh, mechanics of 
uh, getting things. Like, you know, my mom will get me, like, you know, I think still she'll get me, like, here's a, she'll get me maybe, like, a, a shirt and a book and then also some, you know, like a gift certificate to Barnes and Noble or something. Right. And uh, similar, like for my dad, you know, like a check and also some clothing. And also, like, it's nice. Be, like the, I feel like the thing represents, like, you know, I'm, I'm not just getting you. Yeah. Like, I'm not just going through the motions, like doing the easiest thing. Like, oh, holiday, money, you know, yeah. holiday, uh, gift of a thing. Uh, so... Uh, but you know, it's, there's always some artificial nature to it because it's like, oh, well, now is the time. Like, yeah. like now is the time that we celebrate. Now I care about you. Yes, yeah. now goodwill towards uh, all people and uh, and also you specifically, friend, uh, family member. I love. <laughs> Here is the way that I will mandated, you know, styles give you my love. Yeah. I feel bad. I never get people gifts like outside of the holidays. It's just something that I don't. Like, I don't have the instinct to do that. Uh, I do see things that my friends like, I guess, and I will take a picture of it and I will send it to them. So say, like, I thought about you, this thing exists, but to actually get something for them, I should probably start doing that. I mean, there's no shoulds, definitely. And that it's also, that's nice, depending what the thing is, you know, uh, if it's like, uh, hey, you'd like this, hey, hey a book. Uh, <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'll see like, you know, a book with like a friend's, you know, if a friend has like a, in a not conventional, like common name, and then I see their name somewhere, you take like, hey, do you, do you want this thing? And they're like, no, I'm like, bitch, fine to know that it's yeah. a thing. Like, is it a good thing? Like. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you certainly also, you know, there's issues of like, we can't all afford to get everybody that we know everything yeah. all the time necessarily. Uh, so I'm not an advocate. I think that definitely what you're doing, like re reaching out to a person when you think of them is a nice way uh, to let them know that that's what's happening. I feel bad because there are people uh, who are maybe listening to this who I never reach out to, which is to say, <laughs> I'm never thinking about you. I'm so sorry. Okay. I mean, I also don't think you have to, like, just because something, just because one thing is not true doesn't mean the opposite <laughs> is true. Right. Uh, like, you, there might be times that you do think about people and don't reach out to them. So anybody who is <laughs> not reaching out to, uh, she's probably thinking about you anyway. Sure. I mean, she's thinking about you right now. <laughs> right now, she's like, oh, my God, I haven't thought about that person or that person or that person. There must be so many people. You should go through your, your records. A thing that I do uh, every so often is like maybe, like, off, sometimes when I'm about to, like, get on a plane... Uh, I will like I'm at the airport and I have time like I'll look through my my old my texts I'll go back all the way through and see like who I haven't texted in a long time and I'll look through you know the contacts of my phone and be like because there's you know there's so many people like I can't you can't be like you know I think it used to be that there was like 150 people was like a tribe yeah. that you you know your people that you're like I know these people right. and you can't but now I mean there I have interacted with and probably in my phone there's more than that many people yeah. and people that like if there only were fewer people then I would hang out like I'd hang out with any of these people like every year on my birthday I usually send out uh a message just saying like I'm going to be at you know this bar at night I'm going to do this show I'm going to go to this place for dinner before I'm going to have like a lunch and but like I don't I, I just sort of put it out to a bunch of people. Yeah. And so sometimes it ends up being like a, a, an interesting mishmash of like, you know, all people that are my friends in different ways, but like might not know each other. Yeah. And and it's nice to, you know, like just see who, because sometimes it's based on like who you want to see the most, but sometimes right. it's based on just who is available at the time that you are available. Like some people you'll fly across the country to see. Right. Some people you'll wait for them to fly across the country, cry across the country to, yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> oh God, I have to come all this 
this way. Uh, but uh, so that's the thing that I like. You know, every some people maybe I'll only see on my birthday right. or some like some. It's interesting. I, I go to L.A. a few, you know, maybe every couple months, maybe mm-hmm. sometimes once a month. And so I have some friends in L.A. that I'm like, oh man, I, when I'm here, I gotta see you because uh, like I I don't come to L.A. I don't live in L.A. I don't right. come there all the time. But I, there's probably there's some friends in New York that you know live like just a couple miles <laughs> from me that I see less frequently than some of uh, my friends in L.A. And it doesn't mean that I care about those friends less. It's just like when you're living your you know quote unquote normal life, you know. Uh, uh, but I'm, I am trying to do more to reach out to, like, living my life in New York more like L.A., where L.A. is like, oh, God, I got I to gotta do all these yeah. things. I got to make things happen. And obviously, I, like, there's there's so many, you know, there's work to do. There's, uh, you know, errands to run. There's, you know, uh, things to accomplish. But also, I used to just watch a lot more TV than I do now. Uh, so, like, I, I noticed that I'm, like, not watching as much. Be- and I'm glad because I'm still filling my time with, you know, like, uh, work and creating things and you know living my life but also then like you know seeing more friends like it used to I used to maybe in New York spend a day not you know just like not leaving the house you know doing things around that like reading and watching things and writing and uh doing you know doing life things yeah. but just on my own but now like there's so many people that are like worthwhile in my life that do live near me that would be happy to like you know if I leave the house for an hour right. you know then uh, have coffee with a friend yeah. and that's p- potentially more valuable than uh, figuring out what new tv show is uh, quote unquote important uh, to watch. So the, so the thing I'll do like when I'm waiting to get on a plane is like go through and just send a bunch of texts uh, to you know like, just to people saying like hey uh, you know like thinking of you we're friends yeah. uh, and then like get on the plane and then it's a nice thing like when you get off the plane like and turn the airplane mode off and then there's like you know like maybe like 20 texts That's from great. people that uh, and so you feel uh, you know like known. That's really nice. You can do it too. I will. Uh, I did the thing uh, when my plane was delayed. I was in L.A. last month. My plane was delayed, and they were like, we got to need a new plane, blah, blah, blah. But I just was like, anyone can ask me anything, like, and I will be 100% honest. And that was really fun to just, like, get off the plane and just see, like, all the weird questions that people had asked me and then, like, responses and things like that. So, yeah, I think that's a great idea. I'm going to go, like, kind of... Normally, I talk about a person's background, and then we get into, like, weird existential, uh, not weird, but you know what I mean. Okay, cool. All right, so um, so what was your path from, are you from New Jersey? Yes. From New Jersey to Brandeis and then to New York? Sure. Uh, well, I drove my car. Uh, I understand how you want the answer. Uh, and then uh, sometimes would be a great yeah, train and plane and automobile. Uh, just watch that movie on the plane. And uh, not while I'm driving, of course. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in New Jersey, went to, you know, went to high school uh, there. And then it was, like, most of the kids in my high school, like, applied to college. And yeah. so I, I did that. Uh, my family was like, you'll do that. Uh, I mean, it's interesting because, like, start doing comedy, I, I've met tons of people who are, like, uh, you know, some of the smartest people that I know that, like, didn't go to college, yeah. that didn't finish high school, that I'm like, oh, that was, like, not a thing. My, you know, my parents didn't tell me. They were like, uh, there's lots of different kinds of people. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, maybe they told me there were different kinds of people, but they didn't tell me all the different ways that people could be different. Right. And because I was, that was, like, one of my, that was sort of, like, the focus for them was, like, you're good in school. Like, you'll be, you'll go to a good college, you'll get a good job. You know, that's, like, that's how you do well in life, right. you know. You, you're you smart and you use your smarts <laughs> uh, in this very specific way. And so that's that's what I did. I didn't, like, you know, it's only as an adult and as a comedian that I really did start 
like learning and questioning that uh, you know, like questioning the like the things that people. Oh, oh, everybody doesn't. People can't tell you how to be yourself. Right. You you must decide for yourself. Like you can look at the examples of ways that there are to be and be like, oh, that person's like that. This life's like that. Uh, I'll I'll be like that. Um, and but then that's finding you know things that resonate in other people that are true of yourself. And so at the time, I didn't I didn't think of it. I was just like, well, okay, I'll apply to colleges. So I applied to a bunch of colleges that I'd heard of. Uh, that were mostly like some in New York and some in Boston. I think I think I've had to like uh, like Harvard, Brown, Columbia, Brandeis, and maybe like Tufts or something. I forget NYU. Like there was like I think there was like this common application that was yeah. like there's uh, the same the, the the theme that's running through this all is like I guess it's a a combination of another great truth opposite thing of like laziness and <laughs> hard working like yeah. you know figuring out the things that you want to work at like mm. you know, the things that are important but then the other things I'm like uh like I guess it was kind of good because I thought I think I planned to apply to like you know 10 or like a dozen yeah. schools but at a certain point I was like I don't want to do a whole <laughs> like write a new thing like uh, yeah. I think maybe I didn't even apply to Brown because you had to like physically write out your I think they had to you had to physically write out your essay. I think that's a thing that was true at the time, maybe not anymore, maybe I'm making it up, but <laughs> so maybe I didn't apply there. Yeah. Uh, I think I also applied to Rutgers in New Jersey, which was uh, you know like a state school that I could, I could have gone to uh, very reasonably priced. I think the main reason that I picked Brandeis was because they were the they gave like the most aid in the form of scholarships, oh, nice. so I didn't have to take out loans really at all. Like I had a small uh, like, you know, college fund that my parents had started for me, and that was basically able to cover, you know, the parts that weren't scholarships. Yeah. Uh, so that was, like, I didn't know at the time. I, I was lucky. I was lucky in so many, I mean, I was lucky that my parents did that. I was lucky in a lot of ways, but I was lucky that, like, it's only now that, like, I know how much debt people have, how much pe yeah. debt people go into because of college. And, like, I mean, so, like, I got into Columbia, and then they were like, we can give you loans, and I was like, well, that doesn't sound, yeah. I don't like, I, <laughs> uh, you know, at the time it was, like, probably, like, $30,000 a year, which is probably way better than it is now. But I was like, that's still, uh, I don't have, I've never had anything like that kind of money. Uh, so you, do you promise that I'll make lots more money? No, you don't promise that? Okay, never mind. Uh, and it's funny because I never, I didn't even visit Brandeis before I like showed up. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I didn't visit it. I think I just like accepted. I was like, this seems like a good deal. Brandeis is a good school. I've, I've heard of it. Uh, yeah, I don't remember visit. I don't think, did I visit? I don't think I visited. Did I visit any schools? I should talk to my parents, but I, I legitimately don't think I visited and I just showed up on the first day in 1996 and, uh, and then, uh, I was happily, like it was a nice place and yeah, met some, met some nice people and, uh, like, I, I honestly, like, I definitely feel like so many people, I mean, must have this experience as well of just, like, going through the motions of life in whatever way, whatever that means to you. Like, you know, for me, like, even just going to college, like, because I'm glad that I didn't, uh, you know, spend extra money yeah. on college that I didn't have because, like, to be a comedian, you don't even, quote, unquote, need college. Yeah. Like, I didn't, maybe it's, obvi it's obviously the path that I took uh, where I, I'm, I'm glad about the classes that I took and the things that I learned and the people that I met and the social experiences that I had. But I wonder if, you know, now looking backwards, if there were other ways to, like, you know, not everybody, quote, unquote, should go to college. Yeah. Like, you know, especially if you know what you want to do and it doesn't require college, then don't necessarily <laughs> go to college. Like, if you want to do a thing, you know, a job that there's a different path to get to, 
to or right. no specific path. Like if I'd known that I wanted to do, I, mean, I knew that I wanted to do music, but it was still at the time like a pipe dream kind yeah. of thing uh, that, you know, and I had my, my dad's sort of like reasonable, you know, like very like fatherly voice in my ear of like, well, what's your backup plan? It'll be good too. <laughs> so like I thought about, you know, maybe becoming a teacher. Like I eventually applied to Teach for America and I did apply to grad schools too. And some of them, most of them were like counseling programs because I was a psych major and I was like, maybe that's a thing. I like talking to people. I like helping people. Maybe that's that's a, a quote unquote real job <laughs> right. that I could try to get. But uh, yes, yeah, so I ended up at Brandeis just but because I went through the motions that I mean, which is in you know in, in the beginning of life, like all you have is like your the motions that your parents set for you. Yeah. They're like, well, this is what you'll do, and then eventually, you know, and I guess that's you know makes sense that I was like, I they're like, we'll help you pay for this thing that we think is the thing that you should do, right. and so then I'm there, and that was where I eventually. St- I mean, I was a senior in college when I first like was performing. I turned 21 and I started performing. Um, music or comedy? Music. Uh, yeah, I've been. I mean, I've been like writing songs since I was like 15, mm-hmm. and. Uh, there's a printing press in the background now. Yeah, totally, totally fine. Uh, don't don't worry about that, people listening. It's just the, the hustle and bustle of the Harvard bookstore. They're making the books. Really? I, oh, I don't think I that's like, true I at all. Oh no, I have no idea what they're printing. Not one bit. That I'm sure it's complicated. Machinery. Oh, there's a lot of machinery near us. Oh yeah. Oh no, no, it's fine. Please do your job, if you wish. Uh, everybody, do your job if you want to, or get a different job if you want a different job. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, let's see, what was I, oh yeah, I started performing, so I, I knew that I want, like, that was from when I was 15 and started writing songs and, like, teaching myself guitar, and, like, lo- that was what I loved, mm-hmm. the mo- and I was, like, I didn't, I didn't frame it like this at the time, but I'm, like, I knew that, like, if I could, the question that I always ask people, like, when I, if I meet new people, or if yeah. I'm, like, on a date, or if, like, I'm just getting to know somebody, it's, like, what, you know, what instead of what do you do, like, you know, what do you enjoy doing? Like, right. what what would you do if you could do anything? Like, if right. you were independently wealthy or if you, you know, won the lottery, like, how would you spend your time? Like, what actions, you know, what are the things that... And for me, it's, you know, for most of the people that, I, that I'm friends with, it's, like, you know, people who are involved in creative endeavors of some kind. But I know I also know people who don't, you know, who aren't necessarily creators in that way, uh, though I'm sure we all in some, in some way. Everybody's an artist. Uh, but, uh, but music, like writing those songs was like, and playing them for, you know, for like my friends at talent shows at camp or at Brandeis, I would play like at this coffee house that they had. Uh, and so I was definitely like performing a little bit there, but and I looked into like performing outside of the school, but for a lot of places you had to, it was, there were bars and you had to be yeah. 21. So when I turned 21, I started like researching a lot more. Like there was this kid in my class who was like a cellist in a band uh, at the time. I think the band was called Betwixt. Uh, and this guy, Gordon, like he gave, he told me like about some places that the band played. And I was like, oh cool, maybe I can go play my music there. But the band actually like, they had like, fans and followers and so like when they played places like people came to see them so I would and you know I would call places and they'd be like are you a draw like how many people will come to see you and I was like uh I don't know uh but and I so I just like was searching online for like clubs to perform places to perform and the comedy studio uh had just opened like a few years earlier I think very you know it's been there over 20 years now but this is like almost you know a little less than 20 years ago right and I, I called the number that I found on the website and talked to Rick Jenkins and asked if, uh, you know, who is still the owner, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
and I asked if I could come perform my some funny songs there, and he said, sure you can. You know, uh, that's a good impression. You can have seven minutes. Uh, and I was like, seven minutes? Uh, I guess I can do a couple short songs. Like, did not knowing that you know seven minutes is like a lot for your first time on a comedy stage. Uh, but like you know, sometimes you go to a music open mic and they'll give you like ten or fifteen minutes, okay. or like yeah, sometimes. Uh, so like that's the thing. If you're an aspiring comedian, uh, look for music open mics, and they might let you talk for a lot longer yeah. uh, than a comedy open mic, which could be three minutes. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I went and I, I did bring a bu- I brought a bunch of friends, and like I had a really fun time performing. Uh, and then I just I would go there whenever he would let me, which was probably like just a few times a year because I wasn't really even pursuing comedy per se. Right. But then so it was like 2002. I graduated college 2000. 2002 is when I decided that I loved comedy. That yeah. like my my love was not you know I didn't not love music anymore, but it was shifting. You know I'm a polyamorous person, so uh, right. I was like you know I thought I was uh, gonna marry music, but as it turns out I will. Uh, I'm gonna start a long-term relationship with comedy, nice. uh, but still, it's open, so I can see music on the side, <laughs> and uh, you know, sometimes we'll have threesomes. Okay. Um, but uh, but yes, I mean, originally it was comedy music, and now I was like less and less focusing on the guitar. I was trying to write jokes uh, that were, you know, like just just jokes, you know, just talking, and then doing that more. And I would go out to open mics, bring like a little guitar. I would like talk for four minutes of jokes, and then close with a song that was like one minute that was. You know, I thought that was funny. I was like, this works, you know. And then eventually, little by little, you know, when I had more and more time of comedy that would work without the music, I would stop bringing the guitar. Uh, And then I just, you know, for the next six years, I lived in Boston doing comedy uh, in grad school. That was the thing. At the end of my Brandeis career, I also applied to these grad schools and went to BU for a linguistics master's, uh, mostly because I just wanted to keep being in Boston uh, to... Uh, I was dating a girl. I was like, I want to stick around here. Right. Uh, and then I, it turned out, again, to be it's just I sort of lucked into, like, no debt. I lucked into being in a town that had a great comedy scene when I wasn't even pursuing yeah. comedy initially. But it turned out to be great for that. So, you know, I started going to the open mic at Dick Doherty's at The Vault. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a thing at the Emerald Isle and the All Asia. And uh, eventually, you know, a friend of mine started doing this open mic at Sally O'Brien's. And I started doing that with him. And... Uh, then my friend Micah Sherman and I, we started writing songs that were, you know, comedy songs together. And then we started hosting one night a week, Thursdays at the comedy studio. And so then eventually that's just like, you know, what I spent, you know, I, I took some classes and I, you know, got all other than a thesis. I finished my master's in like a few years, but then I just stayed in the program and lived at BU as a resident assistant. Uh, what year did you stop being a resident assistant at BU? Uh, 2008. Oh, that's when I started going to BU. Ah, so I'm sorry I wasn't your resident assistant. Oh, yes. But uh, where did you live? Uh, so I didn't live on campus, so you wouldn't have been my resident <laughs> assistant. But yeah, I, so I lived, yeah, I lived, I just had a, a nice brownstone on Bay State Road. Uh, just, uh, you know, my own apartment pretty much. Uh, so yeah, so I just did that. Uh, I lived there. I, you know, I did as much as I needed to to be a student. I paid to be a student. <laughs> right. But I got, you know, a little, I got a little stipend and free housing for being a resident assistant, and then eventually, by 2008, uh, you know, I've been doing comedy, like, you know, pursuing it full-time, pursuing it full-time, not doing it full-time, but uh, for six years, and then eventually, by that point, 
I had gotten like a college booking agent, so I was starting to perform like traveling and the other like jobs that I had like where I was sort of weaning off of them. And then by 2008 is when I like had, I, I was like, I had the first year where I made enough money doing comedy that I was like, well, if this, if this continues, then hopefully I can keep doing this. And that's then also then I met a girl that lived in New York and I was like, well, I want to move here eventually. She's like, move here now. And so I was like, I was planning on leaving the school. And so I left, I left BU. Eventually, I actually was in New York when I finished my thesis. My, I was planning on not even, I was like, well, I'm already a comedian. Like I, I did what I wanted to do. I don't, I don't need to write this 30 something page paper. Do I? And my advisor was like, come on. I was like, all right. She's like, I'll help you. I was like, okay. So I moved to New York, finished my thesis, got my degree, uh, was now only doing comedy for living for money, which was, that was my goal all, like eventually, like when I started doing comedy, the goal was just, I was like, what do you want to do with comedy? Do you want to be on TV? Do you want to be in movies? Do you want, like, what do you want? And I was like, I just want to be doing comedy. Right. And like, that's still the answer. Like, I'm just still in that end zone. You know, yeah. I'm like, this is what I want to do. I am doing, like, just keep, you know, be, being on TV, doing stand up, being, like, you know, putting out CDs, right. putting out specials, like getting, you know, more and more people to know who I am, doing people's podcasts for fun like Thank just you. yeah I mean uh, having my own podcast like just all the things that just allow me to hopefully keep doing stand up like keep the machinery that is still going right. going like the as represented by the machinery that we <laughs> may still hear in the background but yeah so 2008 I moved to New York and then that's where I've been since nice. wait what was your thesis uh, you know I I, do, I certainly can remember <laughs> enough of it was part of my my advisor uh, part of my advisor's research uh, was is what it was. It was like she was looking into. Um, there were these. I think the MCAS are tests that, like you know, standardized tests that like yes. fourth, fifth, and sixth graders take in Massachusetts. And there was like, in specifically the science tests, uh, there were like multiple choice questions that we had data from three years of uh, like the way that the questions were phrased and the way that the answers came in. Mm -hmm. And like there were some questions that were asked different ways each year and different kids, different numbers of kids would get them right each right. year. And so we're like, is there something in the way the questions are being asked that is doing a disservice to like, do the kids have the information, but the question is tricking them in a way that we don't want the question to trick them, especially if the kids are not like native English speakers, right. because those were kids that were like, I think answering uh, proportionally like less frequently correctly than uh, than native English speakers, which right. which makes sense. But like it didn't make sense that the same information was being tested from year to year, but the numbers were wildly different. Yeah. Like one year, 75% of the people might have answered the question right, and one year, 25% might have asked them right. So I think I looked at I don't remember specifically what the aspect was, but one aspect of like how the questions were phrased in ways that you know like it wasn't specifically this, but you know sometimes like. Uh, when they have like Roman numeral one, two, and three, and then they're like, okay, so is the answer one and two, one but not two, one and three? Oh, yeah. Is it three but not one? And we're like, is this, like, it seems like, you know, we're not, you know, you don't want it, the answer, like, it should be, if, if you know the answer, like, there's like ways that you can have the information but still not know right. how to answer the question, and especially when, you know, there's a language barrier additionally, so that was just hopefully figuring out a way to make sure kids are learning what they're supposed to learn and also being able to express that they've learned what they learned. And uh, so that was what my thesis was about. Nice. And you do a lot of uh, wordplay in your comedy. Did that 
kind of, or rather, is it, was there like one base thing that made you get a master's in linguistics, but also do wordplay in your comedy? I, that's a, a fine question that uh, it's been asked. But sometimes people ask it in a way that they're like, oh, did you go to, ling- like, did you get this linguistics degree so that you could do comedy in a specific way? Or did you, did your comedy make you want to study linguistics? And I mean, I think the thing inside of me that, you know, was excited when I first found out what linguistics was mm-hmm. is also the thing in me that, you know, makes, that like, my brain works in a certain way. And so, like, I'm, you know, I, I assume, I guess everybody doesn't go around life like when you see two words and you're like, oh, what would the spoonerism of these be? Or what's this word backwards? Or what's in the middle of this word? Like, what what about these letters? And so the just the I think that the linguistics degree and the kind of comedy that I do sometimes are both sort of symptoms of uh, the disease that I am. <laughs> the disease that you are. Yeah, the, the, the helpful, healthy disease that doesn't hurt anybody, uh, that doesn't want to be hurt. Like, hey, if you don't want to catch it, don't uh, don't be near me. It's contagious. I like the like. I like the idea that I will become better at comedy by just hanging out with you. I mean, I do think that we all gain from the you know the influences and experiences that we have from people around us. Like, I definitely like. I don't do com- you know everybody as you as you move through life. You know, you grow and change and learn things, uh, and especially for hopefully the things that you want to grow and change and learn things about. Like, you know, you might read things and you're like, oh, then I know different things. And like uh, watching people do different, you know, watching people do different kinds of comedy you might see things uh like the same way uh that you know you figure out how to be as a person like you figure out how to be as a comedian not like you you know copy people and what they're doing but I remember like a specific example in about 2006 you know, I've been doing comedy about four years I went to Seattle to do this uh international Seattle international comedy competition and it was the first time that I met Rory Scovel mm-hmm. and so Rory I mean, he's doing. If you don't know Rory, he's a, he's amazing. He's like he's just so. And he, at the time, he was also like he was just always so funny. And I I didn't know him, and I saw him do comedy. And like the way that the competition worked was there was like 15 of us in one week, and 15 of us in another week. And so there's 30 people total, and then like 10 people move on to the semifinals. And the way that you move on to the semifinals is there's a week of shows. Like you do six shows yeah. like over the course of the week, and every all all 15 people are the same in each show. And you go to different places throughout the Seattle and Washington area. Like we went to like a college. You'd go to like maybe like a biker bar. Then like a a, play, a, cl- a comedy club. And like they do go to specifically like purposefully all these different kinds of places. And like so sometimes and then you'd find out, you know, how well you did in each place because there'd be different judges each time. And often people would do like the same five minute set like each time. And like sometimes people had a set that consistently worked everywhere. Sometimes, you know, like I did really well at the college, but like less well maybe at the biker bar, like four. For example, uh, I don't even know if there was specifically. There was definitely nights that I did better and nights that I did worse. Right. And Rory was uh, was the one person who he was the only person who like every night didn't do the exact same thing. Like I mean, maybe maybe some other people might have as well, but most people of the fifteen people, most people were like, "This is my set. You know, this is the set that I've honed." And it's like you know, like if you're gonna get like a late night set ready, like like this is my five minutes, you right. know. And but Rory would do sometimes the same jokes, but in a different order. Sometimes he would like live in the world of the joke longer and like you know he'd have a punchline but then he'd have another thing and it would lead into just a completely different place and I mean he's super like if you see him now like super improvisational like uh, and it's just I didn't know that that was a way that you could be Uh, like I up until that point I was like just 
you know, I wrote a joke, you know, and then I would perform it. And yeah. if it, you know, I'd try it at open mics like a bunch. And if it worked a bunch that I, you know, I might go back and like retool it and tweak it and be like, oh, this is the best way to say this set of things. Yeah. And so then my set was full of just like this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing. And, and just seeing him do that, I was like, oh, I guess like I, I could try also like, and he was just in the moment so much. Mm -hmm. And like, especially when, so like, the way that I started implementing that was uh, I would, like, if I had a joke that, like, there was this one, I remember this one specific joke that I had that I thought, like, you know, I write down everything that I think could be funny. Right. And then I try, I try as much of it out as I can. And like, if it doesn't work enough, like once or twice, then I'm like, well, well like, I'll try other stuff, you yeah. know? And that was like, that was the way that I was in the past. Like now I might, you know, have more factors like what do I care about? What do I want to talk about? Like, can I make this idea work? Uh, be as opposed to just being like, uh, this stupid thing did work, so I guess that's what I do now. Right. I just do stupid things that work <laughs> out of my control, <laughs> as opposed to things that I care about that aren't, uh, you know. So there was this one joke that a friend of mine was like looking through my notebook, and he was like, "This is funny. Why don't you do this?" And I was like, "Oh, I tried it. It didn't work. It was. It's dumb. I think." And he's like, "No, I think it's really good." And I was like, "Oh, well, it didn't." So uh, that gave me the confidence to try it again and then in but and it still didn't work the way that I had it but one time I just allowed myself to like keep talking being like trying to explain yeah. not to be like here's why it's funny but keep like I just said one more one more word or one more line and like that became the punch I'm like oh everything else was sort of now just set up to yeah. this this thing that got realized and so being like oh wow there's like whole worlds like every joke every one line joke that I have that works like could be like a five minute chunk now yeah. every one every one line joke that didn't work could be a five minute chunk <laughs> now and so that just sort of opened up this world so the point is yeah listening to me you'll be a better comedian okay. guys uh listen to this podcast listen to his podcast uh you mentioned and this is jumping ship to another topic entirely uh you mentioned when you were talking about uh both comedy and music that you are polyamorous is that do you want to talk about that sure. okay you can talk about it okay <laughs> <laughs> i was like you could be like no stop the recording <laughs> i don't like telling people i don't like being open about how open i am uh yeah i i it's only this year that i started really like identify using the label uh, Polly, because what I've been, I've been, you know, talking about and engaging in open relationships for years, but there's, I think, you know, if you're not uh, as, you know, sort of in the world uh, or familiar with it, like, I think, you know, a lot of people obviously have heard about these things, but I think there's sort of, you know, if you don't do it, then you're like, oh, it's sort of all the same. It's all a big mishmash of like, you know, like, oh yeah, poly, like orgies and swinging and yeah, and threesomes and open and you know and date, you know, married and polygamy and like it's like, and so the way that I was before, I would I, I would have said like my last relationship, my girlfriend and I got together partially because uh, she she was a fan of mine and had heard me talk on podcasts and uh, seen my comedy. And one of the things that she liked uh, among many things, she was like, I also, she's like, I've been in open relationships all of my life. And that's just the thing that makes sense to me. Yeah. And so we both wanted like one person to, you know, build a life with, right. uh, and, you know, and we live together and like, you know, maybe, you know, grow, <laughs> grow old together. Hopefully if that, mm -hmm. we, we broke up, but, uh, you know, <laughs> if we, uh, so, uh, we made it out. Uh, <laughs> But the the goal being initially at the beginning of it that we wanted to, 
uh, just, you know, be with the, have each other, be our primary mm-hmm. partner. And then, you know, while if I was traveling or if we were apart or, you know, just whatever, whatever the case was, like being discreet and caring about each other, but also, you know, knowing that we'd be attracted to other people. So like if I was on the road and I hooked up with somebody, like that wouldn't mean that I didn't love my girlfriend. In fact, it means that I love my girlfriend more because I'm allowed to do that. Yeah. And, uh, and she wants me to do that. She wants me to have as much like joy and pleasure in my life. I want her to have as much joy and pleasure in her life. And so that was... Uh, and that's the thing that I wouldn't have called poly because like polyamory, like literally like many loves, yeah. whereas like, so I had a, a buddy and I have a couple friends who are like in, you know, have been in open marriages, open relationships that are poly where like they have their, perhaps their main partner, mm-hmm. but that they live with. And then also like another girlfriend or another boyfriend, right. an, another partner, mm-hmm. uh, who they, you know, see regularly. And part of while I, while I was in this relationship, like there would be people like if I, you know, maybe I would go to a certain town once a year. And if I had a friend in that town who I maybe I would hook up with every time I was in that town. Uh, So but it it might be it's either it's both weird and to call it and to not call it a relationship. Be like, like, list all your relationships. (laughs) Like I actually talked to a dude on his podcast uh, about psychedelics. And also he's he is also poly. And so that came up a little bit. Uh, And this isn't about psychedelics at all. But check them out. Uh, They're great. Uh, Not for everybody. You can do what you want. Uh, Whatever resonates with you. If it lights something up inside you. Anyway. Or outside. We're all one. But uh, we were talking. I forget if it was on or off the podcast. But I, I asked him, like, are you, so you're poly, are you in a relationship? And he said that question to me doesn't even specifically uh, make sense in the way that you mean because it's like I, I feel like I have a bunch of friends like a bunch of really good friends like some of my friends I sleep with and some of my friends I don't sleep with but I don't think and I think that in some ways they're all relationships and that, of course that makes sense like a friendship is a relationship but we're right. like but what about the capital R and he's like well I'm not looking for the capital R relationship he's right. like this is like I'm, I'm happy doing what I'm doing like the way that I've achieved what I want in comedy like he's achieved what he wants in relationship where some people think like you but you must want a sitcom or you must want a marriage I'm like not everybody wants a sitcom (laughs) Uh, yeah and not everyone wants a sitcom and or a marriage like I might you know I might be find myself in find myself in I might (laughs) I mean but kind of really like I I'm getting to know people like I'm dating I'm you know being upfront and open and honest about the fact that now I do like the idea of like I because I can like have feelings for you know have different kinds of feelings for different people at different times like I'd still do like I love living with a person uh but maybe I would also love living with two people like I'm not I'm not I have no specific concept in my mind of exactly how my life like quote-unquote should look in the future like the same way like when I was you know 16 through 24 I was like I would love for my life to be you know a traveling musician and like now I'm almost doing that you know like the same so the same way uh I was like I thought I wanted to do music but I also do want to do comedy like I thought I wanted to be with one person in this way like maybe I want to maybe I'll want to be with multiple people in this other way and uh, the thing that's important to me now, like that one of the reasons that uh, we that the relationship uh, ultimately became not the thing that was good for both of us was uh, she she does still want the thing that we both wanted before. But I learned that I do, you know, I'll have crushes on people. I'll yeah. maybe want to date other people. And that that wasn't what she wanted. Right. Uh, so. So, yes, that is the thing that now I'm. 
I'm like just happy to like ha- again. It, it's it's a, sort of a nice at this point a nice filter because I mean there's so many wonderful people in the world, yeah. uh, and you can't spend you know there's a limited amount of time. You can't spend all of your time getting to know all of the people as well as you could if you only limit yourself to you know some people are like limit to what one's good, uh, and I mean it's definitely there's some. But people are always like, it's must, it must be a lot of work. And I'm like, well, I feel like any number, even one relationship is a lot, is a lot, is a lot of work. And it's, but it's a, and comedy is a lot of work. And anything worthwhile yeah. is hopefully a lot of work. But it's the kind of, you know, back to the laziness thing. It's the good work, the work yeah. that, I, that I want to do. I want to do the work of, you know, figuring out who I am and, you know, sharing that with, in, in comedy with audiences and in life with loved ones and and there's just there are so many people like there's you know a bunch of people in my life that are like people that I that I love that I that I'm not necessarily like dating all of uh some of them are friends and some of them are you know occasional hookup partners and some of them uh and and you know I I guess it's so it's weird like even to say like labels are like not the most important thing to me at all, like at a certain point, it might be. Like I remember, like in when I was like 21 or 22, I started hanging out with a girl who I really liked, and like for a while, she was like, "I just got out of a relationship, so like I'm not looking for relationships, so no relationship." So it's like, okay, cool, 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 that's fine, that's fine. And like we we were hanging out, and like nothing physical was happening initially, but like we were spending all of our time together. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, it was like a friend of mine called it dry dating, <laughs> yeah. like dry humping, but dating. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, and it was like enjoyable in some ways, but also like frustrating in some ways. Uh, but eventually, like we did start, like you know, we would we would kiss sometimes, we would make out, and I'm like, okay, so this is a romantic thing. And I'd be like, so it's a relationship? And she's like, no. And I was like, but you, I was like, you must agree. I'm like, I'm not trying to get you to do something you don't want to do. I I was what my hope was was that she would admit what was happening was like call what the thing was a thing and I spent you know at at this point I wouldn't do that I wouldn't like try to tell somebody to you know I'm not I I will never tell anybody how to identify themselves or others even if like if I'm like well if it were up to me I like you are like there's a you know a woman who uh I I heard I think I listened to a podcast about or like I haven't read her book but I think she wrote a book about it about being married to a man despite uh, identifying as a lesbian because Ah. all of her relationships have always been with women she's only been attracted to women this is like she's attracted to so many women and only has ever been attracted to one guy. She's like, one guy out of, you know, billions of women. She's like, I'm a lesbian. But she just so happened to fall in love with that guy, get married to that guy. And so some people might be like, so you're not a lesbian. But, like, I'm not going to tell her. Like, she can say, she can be whatever she wants. She can say whatever she wants. I mean, like studying language like one of the one of the classes that I took was called uh, semantics and one of the things we talk about is like meanings and word meanings are not uh, like they're, they're, the edges are sort of frayed and jagged and like bl- not black and white like you know if think about the, one of the first papers we had to write was about a chair yeah and like the definition of a chair, and like you know, if you think of it, if I tell you to think of a chair, you'll think of a thing that looks probably similar to like what I think of. Right. But then also, I'm like, what about a high chair or a beanbag chair or an armchair or different kinds of chairs? Like, there's so many things that like a beanbag chair hardly even has the shape or form of a chair; it only has the function. And then like a stool looks much more like a chair than a chair. But we're like, that's not a chair; that's a stool. Or like a bench, you know, certain benches. So if you like have a chair, but you widen it uh, at a certain point, you're like, well, that's not a chair anymore. Now it's a love seat. Or now it's a bench, or now now it's uh, and if you make a chair go high enough, like now it's a stool, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so similarly, like you know, 
the form and function of a lesbian is whatever, you know, uh, for, for that woman, it's, uh, you know, I'm doing like the, I am like for all intents and purposes, you know, like almost all the things are there for me to be a lesbian. So I'm like, I'm saying I'm a lesbian. Um, and so, uh, similarly, like, you know, I, it made, it didn't make sense for me to say I was poly before because it didn't match up now. It does more match up. And I mean, when you, the thing about labels is it, they're useful, obviously, you know, because humans, uh, we like to categorize and find patterns and understand things and know like, oh, this, these kinds of berries might kill me, you know, or like (laughs) this kind of animal will attack me, you know? And so it's important to not just be like every individual basis, like, oh, are you a friendly animal? Are you a poisonous berry? Be like, I've seen things like this before. (laughs) So when you give somebody a label, it gives them like some frame of, some context of like, okay, so I think I understand a little bit about this, but for me, I feel like it should always be, and for everybody, I think it should be like the starting point of a conversation, Mm -hmm. not like, I'm, I'm this, so now you know everything about me. Like, I'm this, so now you know something about where we can start understanding who I am and what I want, uh, or, you know, in, depending on what the, what the circumstances are. Yeah. Like, I, I went on this radio show earlier today, uh, and they mentioned that my Netflix special is called Small Dork and Handsome, and they're like, but are you really a dork? And I'm like, what does this question even mean? You know, I mean, like, yes, but also, if you know, I, if you don't want me to prove it to you, like, uh, I think I do, that would be, like, a nerd's job to prove it, you know? Is that the difference between a dork and a nerd? And, uh, you know, um, and it's fine that it, was, it led to a, a funny conversation, uh, but if somebody's like, but seriously, how do you technically qualify yourself and identify, like, what, what are your credentials to be? this, 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 or this. And I mean, and sometimes, obviously, I was actually, so here's one other uh, flip-flop on this. Uh, flip-flop, changing the mind. Uh, that's no good. Nobody likes to do that. Uh, you have more information and you think a different thing. Oh, no. Uh, but I have, a, I have a lesbian friend who I was talking about uh, the lesbian married to a man mm-hmm. with, and she said, she's like, as a lesbian, I actually don't like that she identifies as a lesbian because, like, if now people see her being like, I'm a lesbian married to a man, that might, like, embolden yeah. dudes who, like, she's like, I always like to be like, if a guy hits on me, I'm like, I'm a lesbian. They're like, well, I read a book uh, about a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, come on, give me a shot. I'm here. She's yeah. like, Ugh, you are not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that, yeah, labels can be useful, but there's uh, only to a point, and uh, actual understanding comes with more. So what is the weirdest interpretation, when you tell someone that you are poly, what's the weirdest interpretation they've given back to you? Oh, I mean, I guess, uh, I don't know if there are super weird, like the normal one, I guess, let me start there, is uh, a lot of people think that you just want to like sleep with a lot of people, yeah. and I mean, that, number one, isn't a if that's true, then fine and great. Like, that's not what most poly people are about. In fact, like, when I, I remember, so do you know Erin Judge? Yeah. So Erin, Erin's my friend, and she's a, a poly married person. And I remember talking to her about, uh, like, when I was sort of starting to put this into practice in my life and her experiences with it, like, like we're both people who enjoy, you know, like, if you are attracted to a person and you find out that they're attracted to you and you, you can then make the decision to, you know, sometimes it's just nice enough to know that a person, like, that something could happen. Yeah. Like, sometimes, like, I, like, sometimes I'll, like, make out with a new person and then be like, that's enough, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't, but when I, I remember being monogamous and then feeling like that you're sort of constrained. Like, mm-hmm. it used to be, like, if I was in a monogamous relationship and I went on the road and I'm like, oh, man, like, uh, this person seems like they could have been into me or they would be. <laughs> 
or if the things were different, oh, I really, uh, you know, and like, so that's, that can be, I mean, it can be, obviously that doesn't happen to you, it's fine, but, and it, that frustration is worth it, then that's fine, but the que- if I was in, if I'm in an open relationship and I go on the road, sometimes then I can like judge on its own merits each situation yeah. and be, not be, and be like, oh, so this person is cute, but also like not interesting or, or they are interesting uh, or like, and you can, so you don't have to hook up with every person yeah. that you can, like that's not what it's about. Uh, so I think that people, maybe they just imagine like what they would be like, oh boy, I like, so, so I think that standardly people, a lot of people are like, oh, I, I would love that situation. Like for me, not for my partner. I would love it. I would love to be able to do, like, I would love to be able to cheat. I'm like, that's not cheating. It's actually technically uh, the rule. If, like, if we're like, here are the rules, like we're not breaking the rules by following the rules. Um, but yeah, so I guess I, I don't have any specific weird responses uh, other than, uh, you know, just it's maybe not weird. I think it's a very common thing to try and, you know, supply your own experience on top of like, okay, I don't understand. Uh, so is it this? And you're like, uh, not exactly. But, uh, uh, you know, so sorry I failed at this answer. No, it's a good answer that people aren't just throwing like weird bullshit at you yeah. for saying that you're poly. That's dope. Yeah. Yeah, that is dope. <laughs> I say dope too much. Uh, You've only said it twice. In life, though, oh, yeah. I say it with frequency. Uh, it's the frequency of, like, a person above 30 who is like, oh, this is a fun new word. So, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it too much. I'll is stop. that a new word for you? Uh, it is newer as oh. far as words are concerned. Okay. Well, I mean, it's a pretty dope word. Yeah, I think so. It can be used in so many ways. It's very it's functional. Uh, so, yeah. Do you have... Any final thoughts on this bookstore? Oh, uh, of course, the thing we've been talking about the whole time. Uh, <laughs> this, I mean, just I recommend it, and I, I like it because it's, I guess one of the reasons that I, I like it that I didn't mention is that, I mean, it, it is an independent bookstore. It's not, you know, it's not Amazon. It's not Barnes & Noble. It's like it's the only one uh, of it. And so I, that's what, another reason that I love supporting it, you know, uh, thinking about, like, you know, uh, how much, you know, how much money I've spent here and then how many, you know, how many books I've given, like how much money I've spent elsewhere and then then funneled it right. into here. You know, like I used to buy a lot of books on Amazon uh, and then other places are like, sometimes I'll, like, I'll support like my local comic book store and yeah. get graphic novels there and then they'll, those things, most of the books that I sell here are graphic novels. Nice. Um, and because they're ones like I read them once or twice and then I'm like, well, I, so many other things. Like I, I used to just keep things because I thought that, like it was like, what if I want to read it later? What if I want to have it later? And then there's so many what ifs about like you and I were just talking like you're moving and uh, you have a, a bag or a box of buttons and you're like, well, what if I what if I need these buttons that I've never needed? Like, and like I, it's nice to go through that. Like it's nice to move because that forces your hand to have the conversations with yourself of like, okay, like I remember the last couple times that I moved, I just brought with me like uh, there's a few boxes that you just keep bringing you're like okay so if I ever need to hook up my VCR that I don't have anymore like what if I what if this wire will be good like what if MacGyver needs it you know like there's so MacGyver comes to your house yeah he's like help do you have a 1988 uh you know circa whatever technology and I mean and there's so many things that I'm like I, especially now that I'm single and living alone, I'm like, 
everything in my house is quote unquote mine. Yeah. I'm like, I'm the one who gets to decide. <laughs> I'm like, I, you know, and I think we all have a, maybe, maybe I have a worry of like, if, you know, if you get rid of something, but then you did need it later, yeah. you're like, oh no, that, that thing. <laughs> so I better keep everything, but I'd rather, the thing that I'd rather have later is, you know, uh, a cleaner, you know, just emptier, like more organized right. home life, mind, and even with books, that, like I'm like, what if I want to read this later? Uh, well, I will buy. I could borrow it from the library yeah. later, or buy it again, or borrow it from a friend. Like sometimes I did before I moved. Also, gave away a bunch of books just to friends. You know, like I had a party, and I'm like, come over, nice. you bring food and take books. I went to a I went to a cool party once. <laughs> dope. It is dope. Uh, I went to uh, this party in L.A. once. A friend uh, had like a BYOB that where it was like a barbecue and you bring alcohol or bring books. And then they set up their backyard like a bookstore with like you know biographies over here and graphic novels and humor section and and so like you know we all have books that we might not you know want or need anymore right. and and so they're like yeah bring bring those and then just take some too like bring some and take some right. and so that's like a cool a thing that I you know if you don't sell all, uh, so number one sell all your books to the Harvard <laughs> Bookstore yeah. buy all your books from the Harvard Bookstore okay. come come to it just support it or if you're somewhere else like a local like have a cool like I just love used bookstores are like when I go on the road uh I, you know, to perform at a club for a week or whatever, or a few days, like the, the thing that I'll search for, I'll search for the vegan restaurants, mm -hmm. I'll search for comic book stores, and I'll search for like used bookstores because I think that they're like, it's just really enjoyable like, to, and especially because like these books exist, you know, like they, you know, we might be moving towards a world where there's like more Kindles and more, you know, just reading things on your phone and reading things online, but for now, they're still, especially for used books, like, it's like adopting a child. Like, you know, like, there's these existing in the world uh, beings and things that, uh, beings and things, that's my store, uh, where you can adopt a child or read a book. Uh, and so it's basically like, you know, like just paying forward things that have already been, like, these things exist, so make use of them. So uh, that's why I like the Harvard Bookstore. Nice. And this is usually the final question I ask people. Uh, you seem like a pretty open guy, so it may, like, if you want to take time to answer it, feel free. Uh, what's something people would be surprised to find out about you? Or, like, a secret. Some people do dark secrets. You know, whatever. Uh, okay, I will take time. Do you want me to talk while I think about it? You can if you want to. Um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, if there are things that... I haven't told people. There are reasons that I haven't told them. Uh, because, I mean, a lot of the time, you know, when I'm in relationships, the things that I keep secret are, like, you know, private things because other, like, other people don't have the same degree of openness. Like, they, you know, they, they might understand that, like, if you start, if you date a person who talks about their life yeah. on podcasts or on shows, then you might end up being talked about. Yeah. But, like, whenever I was dating... Uh, whenever I've been dating a person, like, I would always, if I write a joke about them that I think they might not, you know, I'm like, are you comfortable, I'll ask them, are you comfortable with people knowing this thing or people yeah. hearing about this thing, like, whether it's, you know, a sexual thing or, like, a, you know, a, a personal life detail, a thing about their family. Like, I, I never want to reveal, uh, you know, anything that a person wouldn't want 
uh, everybody to know. Yeah. But for myself, like, I do essentially, like, you know, I have over the past, you know, 14 years of doing comedy, like, I'm like, what do I write? <laughs> what what do I write jokes about? Like, I mean, what do I know about? I know about myself. I know about these things. I know about, uh, I guess this is a thing that I, <laughs> it, it, this will be an embarrassing thing, <laughs> Uh, but I, I, and I have shared it like with a, a few, I've mentioned it, like I don't talk about it on stage frequently, mm-hmm. but like it, this is, I guess this is the thing that comes up when, whenever anybody asks like, what's the thing that you don't tell people? Um, so I've said it once or twice before, but, uh, it's also about moving. Like I remember my family moved when I was like 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before that, so, you know, the house that I grew up in, I one time, uh, remember like, uh, having an accident and like uh, soiling my pants mm-hmm. uh, and taking the the underwear and just hiding it <laughs> like in in this boiler room that we had just like okay. behind uh, you know behind a boiler yeah. and then forgetting about it and then not knowing and then I'm like well that's <laughs> That's still there, I assume, or I don't know if, you know, if anyone ever found it or my parents or the new people that live there. So I'm like, I apologize to those people. So I guess the broader message is, uh, you know, if if you make a mistake, you can talk to somebody about it. Uh, hopefully there are people in your lives. If it's if you're a child, your parents, I hope, or a teacher or a, a trusted adult friend, an aunt, an uncle, uh, uh, a different, a non-binary relative, you know, a, a gender fluid relative. Uh, and, you know, don't be, I mean, now essentially, and I'm still like, it's interesting. I'm like embarrassed about the way that I, I'm embarrassed about the thing, but I'm also embarrassed about the way that I was embarrassed. But also it's like, I mean, part of, part of comedy, like, you know, there's different ways to do different kinds of, you know, arts, like different, you know, uh, when people are like comedy is all about, I mean, for some people it's about, what well, some people it's about politics, for some people yeah. it's about the personal, for some people it's about absurdism, uh, and the same thing for any art. Like, you know, here's, here's what books are about. Oh, there's, there's lots of different kinds of books. Like, here's what movies are about. Like, I mean, there's different people have different visions and, yeah. uh, express them in different ways. Uh, but one, one way that comedy works and one way that art works is like taking, uh, embarrassment taking, you know, things that you wouldn't tell people, taking, like, dark secrets and, you know, illuminating them. And so even, and so I'm even, like, embarrassed about the fact that this is a thing that I don't talk about that much. I'm like, I should talk about (laughs) that poop all the time. Yeah, poop, 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 poop. So I've really turned a corner here, and I thank you. Yay! <laughs> I like to be helpful. <laughs> I'm sorry that my dark secret is uh, about poop. <laughs> I think that's fine. I think that's a worthwhile thing to have a dark secret about. Although, if you were living in a house and you were to find a pair of children's underwear covered in poop, what would be your first thought to that? I mean, ghosts. I <laughs> know. Uh, I. Uh, Do you think ghosts poop? Uh, I mean. Everybody does, they say. Um, and also, uh, yeah, so yes, ghosts, I think that they do, but also I think it would be white. Um, like a bird. <laughs> I'm like a bird. I poop like a ghost. Okay. You know that song? Um, yeah. I'm like a bird. I poop like a ghost. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad. See, and this is the sort of thing, the sort of comedy that I wouldn't have written before I knew Rory Scovel. Uh, and I'm not writing right now, but sense. but it is kind of happening, whether or not it's... And I don't think we even have to label it as comedy, because labels aren't important. But uh, if I, found, if I like, moved into a house, I'd be like, I guess some kid... I mean, if I found it, I would know 100% what happened. 
I'd be like, that's karma, the universe paying forward. And I was like, oh, I guess I, and I would, I would feel less alone. I'd be Aww. like, oh, there's other, other people going through things like this too. And if nobody out there has ever had any experience similar to that whatsoever, well then, then you can feel better about yourself. And if you've had an experience like it, then you can feel connected to a person. Either you're better than a person or you're just like people. There's no way that you're worse than people. This is, I'm, I'm happy we're providing this service to the listeners. I also feel that way. All right. Well, any final thoughts about the world in general, comedy, music, your life, other people's lives? Uh, great question. Uh, so just, uh, we have uh, about an hour left. Great. So uh, <laughs> final thoughts for the whole time of the podcast. That'd be funny to have a podcast called Final Thoughts. So what are your final thoughts? Uh, we have an hour. <laughs> Um, I think, you know, uh, some of the, everything that we talked about was, uh, fun and or valuable and I appreciate your having me. Thank you very much. And I encourage everybody to be, you know, uh, in, especially, you know, especially in, I was like these times, but also all times, you know, we're going through like, you know, the world is always, there's always people suffering. There's always, uh, potential reasons to be, you know, vigilant. And, you know, if you're fearful, like hopefully look into things that you can do, like see what people you can help, you know, what, uh, you know, like donate money to against malaria, donate money to the Southern Poverty Law Center and the ACLU and, uh, you know, look into, uh, volunteering and helping out at mosques and, you know, wherever, whatever marginalized people you think might be in trouble, or if you are one, you know, help, help yourself, you know, I mean, take care, if you're taking, take care of yourself, if you're taken care of, take care of somebody else, uh, reach out to people, tell them that you're there for them, uh, be kind uh, to yourself and others, uh, if you want to, uh, or do, do whatever you want, whatever, whatever resonates with you, uh, I hope you do. All right. Guys, that was Maggie Kaplan, and this has been the Harvard Bookstore and Person About Town. Thank you so much. Okay, bye.